Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Well, no, no, Naomi has been very specific with her plan. I mean, Naomi has been now, now this, and what next? Then this, what next? Then this, what next? Then this, and then Naomi's saying, and what next now, Naomi? She says, I don't know what next. <laughs> I don't know what next. Boaz will tell you what next. And can't you imagine that? You know, it's very controlling. Naomi is very controlling. She's saying, first you do this, and second you do that, and then third you do this, and then, I don't know. He's going to tell you. You can feel that at this point, she's just saying, I don't know. But believe me, Ruth, it will take on a life of its own. And just listen to Boaz, he'll tell you. Now, this shows something about Naomi. This shows how Naomi was trusting the Lord in what would be next. Naomi is very controlling, but Naomi knows when to stop and let God be God. She knows when to stop and let God take over. You know what happens to us when we become anxious? Anxiety comes when we take too much control. Anxiety comes when we don't know when to stop and wait on the Lord for the next step, as she's doing. It's wonderful when we do what we can do and then have mastered the art of committing to the Lord. I'm not going to try and control what I have no control over. Now, I'm just going to commit this situation to the Lord. You ever felt frustrated, like you're trapped and you can't control the outcome? That's the time to do what Naomi does. Pull back, let God be God, trust him for the outcome. Can we do that? You know, it's interesting. The strongest trees are the ones that endure the most wind. You know, because the stress forces on the tree, they cause the trunk to grow stronger and they cause the roots to grow deeper and more expansive. And that's why God sends these kind of anxiety stresses on us so that we'll grow stronger in him. If we live the kind of lives, and in our lives, that, you know, we just, uh, once a week, the Loomis armored car backs into our garage and dumps a bunch of money, you know, <laughs> we'd have no stress. And we'd say, who needs God? I have all this money. Like in Proverbs 30, verse 8, Proverbs 30, verse 8, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. If we're on easy street in life, then we say, who's the Lord? God allows these seemingly no way out problems in our lives so that we'll never say, who's the Lord? We'll never say that. Those are the stresses that push us to God. So we should view our problems in life as opportunities for us to be like Naomi, 
trust God, do what we can as far as we can, and then just find out just how much caring, just how loving, just how providing God really is. All right? So problems or opportunities? You got problems? Oh, hey, do I have opportunities? Now, we can only do this, and Naomi could only do this if we and Naomi are convinced that the Lord's our shepherd, that the Lord's our father. This is important to see about when the Lord said he's our shepherd. We just sung that, right? The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. See? He said that. The Lord Jesus Christ said that. John 10.1, John 10.1, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. You know what's important to see about these statements? It's important to see about when the Lord said that God is our shepherd or God's our father. You know, Matthew 6, 9, the Lord's prayer. Matthew 6, 9, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See, what's important to see about the Lord as our shepherd, about the Lord as our father, is that he wants to be. He wants to be our shepherd. He wants to be our father. He's not pushed into it. You know, he's not pushed into being our shepherd and father. He chose to be our shepherd and father. He didn't say, well, I guess I got to take care of him, like with me when I was born. He says, all right, I really don't want to, but I have to. Not at all. The Lord is saying that there's nothing else that I would rather do than to be the shepherd and the father to take care of them. Only when we're convinced of that will we run like kids into the arms of our father and say, dad will take care of it. Dad will take care of it. And that's what Naomi's doing here. Naomi is saying to Ruth about what next when she said, he will tell me what thou shalt do. It's Naomi saying to Ruth, dad will take care of it. Dad will take care of it. God the father will take care of it. That's a statement of victory over anxiety. Victory over anxiety. And that's when peace comes. That's when peace came to Naomi. Peace comes when we turn to God and commit the future and what's going to happen to him. And that's what she's doing in verse 4. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. So Naomi's goal is to bring Boaz out to declare his desire to marry Ruth. See, And Ruth's obeying Naomi is equivalent to Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, for this is the first commandment with promise, that you'll be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. See, Ruth was not looking for a husband. Just like Melody said, Ruth was not looking for a husband. Ruth was just wanting to obey Naomi. See, that's a wonderful pattern there for a believer, how to find a spouse, Believer goes out and says, look, my first intention, I gotta find a spouse, gotta find a spouse. But to have as a first intention to follow the Lord instead. See, when Ruth made her declaration of loyalty, and that's what it was in chapter one, Ruth made her declaration of loyalty, it was to Naomi when she said, in chapter one, verse 16, and Ruth said, and think about how she's making a statement of loyalty to a Naomi. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee. She's talking to Naomi. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Thy God, my God. Where thou diest, I will die. There will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And also, if aught but death part thee and me. See, this is Ruth's proclamation of loyalty and attachment to Naomi. 
not a husband, but to Naomi. Ruth did not say to Naomi, well, I'll stay with you just as long as I need to until you can transfer me to a husband. No. Ruth said to Naomi, where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. That showed Ruth had no intention of ever getting married again or ever being separated from Naomi. When Ruth said to Naomi, the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part me and thee, Ruth did not leave room for saying, till death do us part to a husband. Ruth declared that her loyalty to Naomi was to Naomi, and she had no interest in getting married again. So when Ruth obeyed Naomi, that was an obedience of love for Naomi. It wasn't a self-seeking on her part. She had no sensual She had no romantic interest in Boaz. She had a love for Naomi. So now in verse 7, but she obeys. And it says in verse 7, she came softly. So here we are back on the threshing floor. She came softly. We see Ruth obeying Naomi as she waited till Boaz was asleep. And then Ruth cautiously stepped so as not to make any noise, so as not to wake anybody up not to wake up Boaz. She gently uncovers his feet, lays down at his feet. I don't think she slept, but she laid down. And now we see that Ruth has laid down his feet in verse eight, and it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. So Boaz, he's sleeping so nicely, and he feels there's something warm and soft on his feet. What could that be? You know, he's startled, you know, maybe a, a warm snake or a skunk. So he's jolted out of his sleep with, what do I feel on my feet? And when it says he turned himself, literally it's he bent over there. And then there's a shock of it all. Behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he asked the question, who art thou? I mean, it's dark. He can't see who it is. And Ruth gives here the most beautiful answer to his question. She says in verse 9, I am Ruth thine handmaid. She does not say, I am Ruth the Moabitess. She's abandoned that title of Moabitess because she's listened to Naomi. She sees herself now as incorporated into the people of Israel. So she's listened when Naomi said in verse 2, with whose maidens thou wast. So she accepts the fact she's been accepted as part of the maidens since Boaz put her there. Now we read in verse 9, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaiden. A very, very sad translation, and not good at all. Two problems with the translation here that is. First of all, there's a problem with the word skirt. This is not the word skirt. This is the very important word in Hebrew, especially in this book. It's the word kanaf, and that's the same word that's used in Exodus 19.4. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings, kanaf, and brought you unto myself. I bear you on eagles' kanaf. So kanaf does not mean skirt. It means wings or feathers. So that's the first problem with the translation. The second problem with the translation is the tense of the verb. It's not in the future tense. It's in the past tense. You know, do, your kanaf, over. It's you have done that already. Thou hast spread thy wings or kanaf over thy handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. See, when Ruth used the word kanaf or wing, she was talking Boaz's language. He understood that. That was part of his language. He's the one who said to her in verse 12 of the previous chapter, chapter 2, verse 12, 
the Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings, under whose kanaf thou art come to trust. A full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose kanaf thou hast come to trust. See, Boaz, Ruth, Naomi, they knew this word. This was a very special word, kanaf. is very familiar to them because it always expresses the care that God uses of his people. They knew the importance of the kanaf in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, where it says, uh, very important, in Exodus 25, 20, and the cherubim shall stretch forth their kanaf on high, their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their kanaf, with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat shall be the face, shall the faces of the cherubims be. See, the kanaf of the cherubims that covered the mercy seat where man met with God and man heard the voice of God speaking to him. It shows the importance of the kanaf, of the wings, to protect the intimate fellowship of man with God. That word kanaf is important for us. It's very important for us because as we meet God every day, we rely on God's kanaf, on his wings, to protect our daily quiet time. That's a protected time as far as God is concerned, just as we see at the tabernacle, at the mercy seat. So they all knew this when they used the word kanaf, and especially what she used, you have spread your kanaf. You've already done that, your wings over your handmaid. They all knew that, but they also knew both sides of the kanaf, the bottom side and the top side. Why do I say that? Because of Deuteronomy 32.9. Deuteronomy 32.9 says, The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in a waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him safe as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings and taketh them, bearing them on her wings. See, God said, I'm like the eagle. And he says, you're like the baby eagles. And so when the baby eagles, the very vulnerable baby eagles, looked up, they saw the great bottom of the eagle kanaf, of the eagle wings protecting them. And then the little baby eagles say, boy, am I glad those kanaf wings are protecting me. So they saw the bottom of the wings protecting them. But then when the baby eagles had to be transported and they can't fly and they find themselves absolutely vulnerable because they got to move. Then the baby eagles find themselves on the top of the kanaf, on the top of the eagle wings. And they said, boy, am I glad for these kanaf wings transporting me. And God told the Jewish people, look at the eagles Look at how they're protecting them with their kanaf. Look at how they're transporting them with their kanaf. And see in that how I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt in Exodus 19.4, Exodus 19.4. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' kanaf, on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. So that means the Lord wanted Israel to look back on their life in Egypt with all the misery, the extermination plans that were already in place and working, and how God brought them out of short annihilation and see that, look, just as vulnerable as baby eagles, I protected you and I transported you out when you needed to move. And so the precious truth is the kanaf. Now, Ruth is saying to Boaz, she knew that the Lord had spread his kanaf over her. 
his wings. But Boaz spread his kanaf, his wings, over Ruth to take care of her. So Ruth feels like the vulnerable baby eagle. She feels like the timid chicken under the wings of the hen. And she knows that ultimately she's under the kanaf of God as her protector. But immediately she knows that she's under the kanaf of Boaz. And now in a very indirect way, Ruth is asking Boaz to perform the duty of the near kinsman Goel Redeemer and marry her. Ruth never would have asked Boaz to do this unless she knew also that his heart was hers. Now, we see how Boaz responds to Ruth in verse 10. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. First of all, this was risky for Ruth. This was very risky for Ruth. Why? She could have offended him. She could have really said, Oh, you got a lot of nerve. What are you doing here in the first place? And with the feet, and now, and now you're asking me to marry? But no. Boaz was not offended by Ruth's overture, to put it lightly. And that was just a relief. It was just a relief because, in fact, Boaz is overwhelmed with three feelings. What's the first feeling? He's relieved because he has feelings for Ruth. He has a feeling of gratitude to the Lord for Ruth. It's a godly woman, virtuous woman, as he says. And he has an admiration of Ruth because Ruth used the word Goel, used the word kinsman. Ruth has in her mind to respect her husband's memory, her deceased husband's memory. And she turned down other doors of younger men I mean, here she is, an attractive, young, available woman. She turned him down. And Boaz asked God to bless Ruth because she has shown kindness to the house of Eli Melech by ensuring that the name of her deceased husband and his inheritance will continue in Israel through Boaz. In fact, that Boaz then brings up this issue of age when he says, inasmuch as thou followest not young men. That shows Naomi was dead on right. She was right. Boaz really was in love with Ruth, but he was restrained because of his age from declaring his love for Ruth. And Boaz, now, he looks at Ruth and he correctly reads an anxiety in Ruth. And why shouldn't Ruth be anxious? I mean, she didn't want to get married, and now she's trying to get married to Boaz, and now he's telling her something like, well, you don't really know who you're going to end up marrying, you know? I mean, all Ruth wanted to do was to stay single with Naomi, and now she might be married to some man she doesn't even know. So she's afraid. You know, she's like, Muriel Poole said, better to be single than to wish you were. You know? And Boaz, he sees, he reads this anxiety. And so Boaz says to her, very important words in verse 11, now my daughter, fear not. Fear not, he says, I'll do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Boaz sets her heart at ease by telling her, don't be anxious. And that's what we battle, anxiety. You know, I had jury duty this last week, went in for jury duty, and and it was um, an employee who was suing the company he worked for. Hmm. (laughs) I wonder why I got on that case. And anyway, his attorney told the court that his client suffered from clinical depression, which he described as an overwhelming feeling of sadness and fear. And Boaz has told Ruth, don't be anxious, because first, he's prayed for Ruth. 
And then he told Ruth that he was going to do all she was asking him to do to gain the right to become her husband as the king's redeemer. But then he tells her something surprising. He says, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. The word Boaz used here, very important for virtuous, chayil, chayil. And that's the same word that's used in Proverbs 12, a virtuous woman, a chayil. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is his rottenness in his bones. So Boaz called Ruth a chayil, virtuous woman. He was saying that she would make her husband assured and confident as opposed to ashamed. And when it says ashamed, it means pale in the face. And then this is the whole subject, as you know, and as you've thought already, Proverbs 31. Who can find a chayil? Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. The whole section in Proverbs 31 describes a virtuous woman. And when you look at that virtuous woman, there's one word that comes to mind. That woman is resourceful. She's getting up early. She's buying and selling and making and, oh, boy, clothing. She's just resourceful. And Boaz knows he's found a virtuous woman. He's found a chayil woman. She's more valuable than rubies. He's going to try to do his best to get her. And Ruth, he says, you got a good reputation in the city. And the word that Boaz used when he translates city, it's not city. It's gate. As a matter of fact, Boaz said, the gate. In other words, all the people around the gate. They know you're a virtuous woman. He's listening to say, look, the gate has heard so much that if the gate could talk, the gate would say you're virtuous, Ruth. It was known in all the gate. That's the water cooler. Everything's talked about there. Ruth had a reputation for being what, what we would call today a no-nonsense woman. She was a no-nonsense woman, virtuous. Now, Boaz raises the issue. Now it's true that I am your near kinsman, albeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Oh, so it looks like Boaz has been thinking about this also. <laughs> and there's a kinsman that's nearer than him, and he has the right of first refusal. And so, Ruth, this is a big problem. And we can feel the anxiety. Can you feel the anxiety in Ruth? You're not knowing how this is going to work out? I mean, the hardest part about this is not knowing who she's going to end up marrying. You know what Ruth feels like? She feels like a coin that's tossed in the air, and she's flipping around. And she doesn't know if she's going to land on heads or tails, you know, and who she's going to marry. And now Boaz tells Ruth that you should just go to sleep now in peace. (laughs) And he restrains the very thing that's driving her crazy. In verse 13, tarry this night, it shall be in the morning, that if you will perform unto thee a part of a kinsman, well, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if you will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then I will do the part of the kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. He's just restated the very situation that's driving her crazy. And remember now, Ruth was happy not to marry anyone, but to stay with Naomi. That was her first choice. But Naomi told Ruth to go where Boaz was at night, and that made her anxious. And then Ruth snuck in, and that made Ruth anxious. And then Boaz woke up and was frightened, and that made Ruth anxious. And then Boaz told Ruth that there was another man in front of him to marry her, and that made her anxious. And then Boaz tells Ruth, if he marries her, that's fine with him, but if not, then he'll marry somebody else, and that made her anxious. And so with all this anxiety, then Boaz tells her, lie down, have a good, peaceful sleep. (laughs) How's she going to do that? How's she going to have a good, peaceful sleep? Because of what Boaz told her. Boaz told her three words that can calm any storm. And those three words, we just read them over. We say, uh, no, no, no. Those are really important words in verse 13. The Lord liveth. The Lord liveth. He's saying, God is alive. The Lord is alive. And because he is alive, you can have peace, Ruth. 
because he lives. You can face tomorrow because the Lord liveth. Verse 13, lie down until the morning. Great advice for Boaz to us. He should have copyrighted that instead of the Gaithers. <laughs> whatever is making you anxious, whatever is taking your sleep away, you can have peace. Why? Because the Lord's alive. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the words of Boaz and help us to take it to heart, Lord, that you're alive, that you're living, and that we can trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.